Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. It's Monday, March 4th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking to HIV and LGBTQ activist George Johnson about what he's learned from his STI prevention work in gay bathhouses. In his recent article for Tonic, writer and activist George Johnson explains that the HIV epidemic is not over and it's affecting people of color at disproportionately high rates. It's estimated to affect nearly half of black men who have sex with men, and black women are still the highest group infected of all women. Latino men who have sex with men have a contraction rate of 24% over their lifetime. These numbers are at least in part due to the stigma that surrounds HIV, which often prevents people from getting tested and seeking treatment. For this reason, Johnson has taken his work as an STI tester out of the clinic and into his community, specifically into gay bathhouses. So on this episode, Tonic editor Raj Punjabi talks to Johnson about what he's learned from this experience. So George, I want to start talking about bathhouses a little. In the 80s and 90s, bathhouses were generally vilified as a place for deviant behavior. And whether that's true or not, I think that was like the general narrative about it and surrounding AIDS and HIV. So tell me about what role bathhouses play in the community now. So bathhouses now, I guess, from what I see, are kind of looked at as like recreational almost like places to go for like sexual exploration, kind of fun. I've literally been to the bathhouse with like friends before. Like, oh, like, let's go to the bathhouse. Like, okay. Um, And sometimes it's not even to do anything. It's just to watch or look at other people. And like, I guess like a place of like voyeurism. Like, it's not just about sex, right? Like people come there and have conversations. People come during their lunch break. A lot of the bathhouses are also called like health and spa. So like, it's not just a place that has like these rooms or like porn playing. They also have showers and they also have a gym. Uh, So people actually do use the gym and then come upstairs and shower. So it's not just about the the sex it's it is about community and a safe space and a safe environment uh, for people who enjoy that i think they still have a negative stigma around them because i do think they are still tied to like sexual deviance and because the epidemic is still in our community i think a lot of people still tie those two things together i don't think they get as bad of a rap as they did during the height of the epidemic but i think from a lens of the shaming of sex and the shaming of people who may practice sexual positivity differently than others, uh, they're still looked at in a way of like uh, respectable people don't go to these type of places or need these type of places because they go against like, I guess, the morals and ethics of heteronorms like marriage and 
monogamy and things like that. I mean, in that case, it it to me seems like the perfect place to start this conversation or have this conversation about testing for HIV and STDs. So can you tell me a little bit about how this idea came about, how you went into the bathhouses and began the discussion and the action of testing for HIV and STDs? So it's interesting because the Department of Health keeps an eye on bathhouses because they know that they potentially can be a place of STI transmission. And so it was actually through the city when I was working in Washington, D.C., that the Department of Health actually, I'm not going to say they require the bathhouses to do testing, but they require the bathhouses to have some type of sexual education component and so that they don't issue like certain health code violations. So through that is how the relationship got started uh, between us and the bathhouse in D.C., the owner was very open to it, though, because I think the owner was like, I, I don't want to be known for that. I don't want my establishment to be known as this place that isn't trying to protect our patrons and isn't trying to keep our patrons safe and isn't educating the people who come here on harm reduction techniques, condom usage, lube usage, and other STIs. And so from that is where the relationship was birthed, uh, where every Tuesday I would go for me and another tester would go, but um, primarily I would go for between eight to 12 hours and work at the bathhouse doing SCI testing and sexual health education. You talk about harm reduction in the world of sexual health, and that term is often used to describe drug use. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, like harm reduction overall is just like the principles of like, how do we reduce one person's risk by doing little things if we can't stop them from doing it all together, right? So it's like, if a person smokes, you know, every single day, a pack a day, it's like, okay, well, can we get you down to three packs a week? It's like, you don't have to stop smoking, but we can reduce the risk you're putting on your body if we can cut down the smoking. So we just took those same principles from, like you said, the drug world and moved them into the sexual health world. So a lot of it is like not teaching safe sex, but just teaching safer sex. I mean, there's a part in the story where you talk about your own thoughts and ideas about bathhouses kind of shifting while you're doing your work there. Can you tell me a little bit about how you changed or how your outlook on sex or sexual exploration changed? Yeah, um, for me, I was even when I went because I had went to the bathhouse before I started working and then working at the bathhouse. So for instance, I went to the bathhouse with my friends, but I never took like my towel off. I kept covered. Like I just wasn't comfortable, even though others were, and even though some of my friends were, I just wasn't fully like comfortable in that type of setting um, because I was conditioned to think about sex as a thing between me and someone else in privacy, not recorded, not, you know, other people watching, not to be seen by others. And I also didn't want to be viewed as like, oh, he's like some type of slut or whore or you know anything like that but going to the bathhouse and then working at the bathhouse and then seeing like other people who I knew who were in the community other people who I knew that worked in the HIV field who were customers of the bathhouse and who would come you know for their own enjoyment changed my whole perception of it because it was like okay like the outside world like I would have never known that you guys attended bathhouses or you, you know um came to bathhouses but you guys on the outside do the same work that I do. And you should be able to live as freely as you want. Uh, so 
a lot of my views then started to shift uh, to where I did explore other things, you know, and not just within the bathhouse, but, you know, being open to other types of things sexually. Uh, it just opened my mind to, to it being okay. Like it's an okay thing. And it's something that I have to accept for myself. And, you know, any shaming or stigma that I may get from it, I, I have the language to fight against. And, and, and it's not a problem. I should be able to do these things. I mean, it's, it's kind of a win-win with it. You're taking care of your community and also developing personally, because I feel like you're fighting against like centuries of oppressive thinking about sex especially in the LGBTQ community, you know, or toward toward the community. Um, and starting the conversation and testing people in your community, I feel like that's such an intimate process. It's such an intimate thing to talk to people about their health, even if you're in a setting that's like very sexually open and free. So I just want to know how you started those conversations at the bathhouse or how, how, how you initiated those kinds of actions and processes. Yeah. So like I would have a table set up in front of the bathroom that I did the testing in. And interestingly enough, a lot of people will walk up to you and ask questions. Like uh, the people in the bathhouse are not afraid to come up to you and like talk to you and ask questions, especially once you start to come there more often. They then can trust you. Uh, and so a lot of those conversations were basically because I had information on the table. People would come and read the information and then they would ask questions about it. I didn't have to do like too much work outside of that to get people engaged in their own healthcare. So yeah, typically they would come up to me and then, you know, whatever questions they had around HIV or uh, gonorrhea, chlamydia, around testing, if they wanted condoms, because I always would have like condoms on the table, I would have like lube on the table and they would come and request those things. And at first they used to be afraid to like walk up and get those things. And I would tell them like, this is here for y'all. So like use them if you want to use them or, you know, we could talk and have a discussion around anything you want around your health. Okay. So why was it important for you to leave a traditional medical setting like a clinic and go into the bathhouse to test people? When you work in HIV, uh, you know that because the community has been so stigmatized that there are going to be groups of people who will never come through your doors. Literally, there were people who, when I worked in D.C., they would see our building and they would be like, oh, yeah, that's the um, that's the AIDS building. <laughs> that's the HIV building. Yeah, and, damn. And that's literally how they refer to the building. They're like, oh, yeah, people who got AIDS go in there. We ain't going in there. And because of that community stigma, there were a lot of people who would not come through our doors. Now, there were a lot of people who would because they were, you know, we're like, well, I'm going here to get tested. But a lot of people won't come through those doors. So you have to come up with new and innovative ways to find your target demographic. And the bathhouse, we thought, was like a great location because it's like, number one, we know sex is happening there. Uh, number two, we know that our target demo is there. So if we can do these things here for them, then we can be better advocates for them um, and they can be better advocates for themselves. Well, I think that leads me to my next question, which is for high risk groups like LGBTQ people and men of color, how can clinicians make it a little bit easier or less uncomfortable for them to come into the clinic and once they're in there to get the care they need so that bathhouses aren't the only place that are offering this kind of thoughtful care? Honestly, I guess on a small level, like micro level, it's realistically when people come into your office, it's making sure like that the pamphlets look like them, making sure that the, the, the room is warm and inviting to whatever their community or culture is. So it's like, 
if you're primarily serving black people, then have black people on your pamphlets, have black magazines for them to read, have black staff who are greeting them so that they don't feel like they're coming into a place and being judged. As far as like doctors and practitioners, they need to be better versed in what healthcare looks like for LGBTQ people because it's not the same. They need to understand what it looks like to give healthcare to a trans person or to how you interact around disclosure and speaking to gay and queer people about um, the ways they're having sex because a lot of us are primarily having anal sex. So it's like, are doctors asking questions? Are doctors even checking like for fissures and for, for things that can happen um, from sex that can lead to not only damage in that area, but easier transmission of contracting STIs? Are doctors even giving full panels? Do they know what a full panel is? Do they even know what an anal pap is? Like, it's so much education that still needs to happen on that end. I mean, there are still doctors who don't know what PrEP is, and that's, it's 2019. And literally, there are still doctors who are like, wait, what's PrEP? And it's like, okay, like, how are we still here with this? But yeah, clinical settings must stay up to date on what is going on around uh, healthcare, especially in dealing with HIV and other STIs. What's one thing that you wish you had in the beginning of your process that you're really fighting hard to give other people? LGBTQ education in high school, sexual education in particular. It's funny because like now all of a sudden this is like becoming like this new conversation. But people asked me just last night, the students that I was speaking to asked me about it. And I was like, well, I learned sex through porn, trial and error. There was no education for me in high school around what sex looked like for me as a queer person. So I also know that there's no education around what sex looks like for trans people, what anal sex looks like. We don't even teach those type of things, even though we know that people are doing it. So that's one, the biggest thing that I'm fighting for now is like, okay, well, how do we get sexual education to be more inclusive and to start at a much younger age? Because kids are having sex, so not telling them about it is not the way to go. So what's next for you? Where else do you want to make testing accessible for people? So for me, I'm now the co-chair of a national committee under AIDS Healthcare Foundation um, called the Black Leadership AIDS Crisis Coalition for Black Gay Men. So we'll be doing national activations across the country to, again, try and make testing less stigmatizing, um, testing to become more inviting, make testing normal. I, I, for one, hate coming to a gay event and there being testing there. Simply because it, it just seems like every time we have something for us, it's always linked to the epidemic or our risk for HIV. So what we're trying to do is like leading up to events, having people come into doctor's offices to get tested and creating relationships between community and their clinics, which is much different, right? Typically, like I said, I, I either have to go into community or people are afraid to walk through the doors. So we're trying to use our voices, especially mine, because it's a trusted voice to say, no, it's okay for you to come into this space. And this space is going to not only be welcoming to you, but they're going to take care of you. I think that's a, a much different approach from the past of where, you know, clinics and hospitals aren't doing as much outreach. So we're just trying to be more intentional around the outreach that we do and use technology to um, technology and other uh, methods to get people to come into the doors. Thanks so much, George, for telling us about your story and for talking to us. Thank you for having me today. You can read the full story at tonic.vice.com. 
That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening, and make sure to tune in again on Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.